Hello and welcome to Repertory Screenings episode 18. I'm your host, M, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Howdy. And we're here to talk about movies. Hooray for Hollywood. I love I love movies. Um has anyone seen any movies? Destiny, have you seen something that's not for this podcast? I've seen a couple. What would you like to talk about? I'll talk about both of them, because they were both pretty interesting. Uh, the first one I watched was the 1969 Toshio Matsumoto movie, Funeral Parade of Roses, um, which is, it's essentially an Oedipus Rex adaptation, but the setting is 1960s Tokyo underground gay and trans uh, nightclubs and stuff. And the lead actor is named, uh, well, the character is named Eddie. The actor is named Peta. And they are known for just, like, being sort of, sort of like Japan's RuPaul. Just like, I'm always in drag all the time and I'm really, really famous. Uh, but anyway, the movie follows Eddie as she, like, deals with her uh, issues and there's an interesting documentary element. It's kind of an experimental film because it just changes genres really, really fast and it goes back to other ones. So like the fictional part is the Oedipus Rex adaptation. Then there's documentary sections where an interviewer is asking the actors about like being gay and what it's like to be in your first movie and then it's just got a lot of interesting like drug culture things in it too so because this is a side of japan that i don't really know anything about this like 1960s sort of counterculture so it was really interesting and really beautiful and i don't know what i like the, the oedipus adaptation part was kind of eye but everybody does a good job and it's a very good looking movie um and then the second movie i watched was underwater which was a pretty good creepy monster movie uh, directed by William Eubank. It came out this year with um, Christian Stewart and Vincent Cassell. But I think it was one of those movies that... uh, Yeah, it was the last film under 20th Century Fox before they changed 20th Century Studios by Disney. Uh, And it's about this drill... uh, underwater drill team at the Kepler 822 station who uh, experiences this mysterious breach and it turns out there's just a bunch of creatures under there terrorizing them and it's really really good. I was very surprised by this movie. We literally only saw it. There were only like five of us in the theater and I went with four of my friends. (laughs) Um, No, like just uh, we only saw it because we like Christian Stewart and uh turned out to be a really good movie. So I recommend it if you haven't seen it. Okay. Um I continued to watch the Criterion 70 Sci-Fi collection until I burnt out to the point where I did not finish watching Criterion Sci-Fi Collection. Uh the double feature of Soylent Green and the Terminal Man did me right in because Soylent Green's a terrible movie. Um The people. It just goes, that's not even like, it's just long. It's, um, the Edward G. Robinson does really good work in a very thankless role. It's like the last thing he did. He died like days after filming his last scene. Oh, geez. Um, and, uh, 
there's like a that character gets like a death in the movie that's very poignant and it it's good um it gets the uh look who's coming to dinner thing of the actor is dying and knows that when they're doing their movie about the character dying and I, that always gets me um terminal man was just terrible i didn't even finish it and then i just stopped which because, one's terminal uh, man Terminal Man is about a guy who gets a brain implant to, like, quell his, like, seizures, um, which is, like, a real thing. Um, but he also has this, like, psychosis where he believes that computers are going to take over the world. Uh, and so, and, like, his therapist, like, you can't put this thing in his brain. It's just going to drive him crazy. And it does. And the shocks, like... Because he has the, the because the seizures are triggered by his stress levels, the stress of having the computer in his brain triggers the seizures to happen more often, and then the implant goes more, and it just like turns him into like this psychotic killer because of his psych his you know seizure implant. Um, it's very corny about its uh, its psychology scaremongering bullshit. It's just one of those. It was bad. Fair enough. Um, and then I, I just stopped. I was like, I'm done. Um, you know, I missed maybe like seven movies. A couple of them I'll go back and circle around. Like I didn't see watch Mad Max and I didn't watch Rollerball. Those are two I definitely want to see. Um, Same. But, um, you know, uh, it was fine. I got a, I got enough done. I felt com- accomplished. And at some point, you just need to stop watching 70s movies because the problem with half of those movies is they're all predicated on the food supply dried up like we said it would because overpopulation's a real thing we believe in in the 70s. And now everyone <laughs> has to live underground and can't have children because there's too many people, um, which, you know, is a politically charged eugenicist position. Uh, to try to get people in the global south to stop having babies, yes. basically. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, unfortunately, everyone bought in uh, back then. So, and I mean, still do really. Let's be honest. And um, that's that's a shame. But uh, you know, I thought most of the movies that I watched were okay. It's just the, that two, those two just knocked me right out. Um, Jackson, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched. Um, well, I watched three movies. Um, talked about one of them on VoIP Life, talked about Gemini Man, don't really have anything anything more to say about that. It, it was fun, uh, but very dumb. You know, is what it is. Good movie uh, that had a bad script. Um, I also watched the two Red Cliff movies, uh, which I, I can, might talk about on a different podcast. Uh, I might mention those on the three. Oh, yes. We have a, I guess we never, like, we never plugged it here. We have a podcast. It's not on our network called Romance the Two Networks, which is a Scanline Media podcast where me and Jackson join our friends Six and Jen every week to talk through three chapters of the enormous historical epic Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which we're about halfway through now, getting close to. Yeah, we're almost Um, halfway through. Um, So watching Red Cliff was a tie into that. Red Cliff, of course, is John Woo's enormous four and a half hour epic. It's five hours. It's two, two and a half hour long movies. Oh, okay, yes. Um, so I watched You liked those. it? Oh, yeah. Watched it over two days. Had a great time. Um, the movie's great. Uh, don't have, like, too many deep things to say other than uh, it's very good. He clearly came like came out of China, and he says in interviews where uh, he's talking about how, how cool it was to work with the Chinese government uh, because he basically came in and was like, I need $80 million to make a fake Lord of the Rings. And China was like, yes, of course, please do this. Everyone will see this. And it worked out very, <laughs> worked very well for them uh, while complaining about how annoying Hollywood is to work with. <laughs> Uh, yes which is very good uh, but yeah they just gave him the money and he made the movie and it was great um it, it is the most like fake lord of the rings uh, possible like it's very clearly doing that but uh for a chinese story but it's done very well 
Lord of the Rings is a good template for a big epic in the 2000s. <laughs> Uh, that's fair. Is it like Wuxia? Is there like yes. wire work oh, and stuff? Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> I have the Blu-ray. I just don't know anything about it. So uh, the, the less less wire work in the battles. Uh, the Wuxia stuff is more like just in the direction, uh, probably outside of the battle scenes. Honestly, um, okay. The battle scenes are much more twelve thousand extras, big scale, everyone yelling at each other stuff. Um, Sounds cool as hell. Honestly, it, it's incredible. <laughs> um. But it is. I forgot the last movie he made before this was Paycheck. Yes. Remember the future. <laughs> so no wonder he's like, oh, I went back. I went back to a different country, and I made. They just gave me the money. I made a huge movie. It took me forever, and it was good. It wasn't fucking Paycheck. <laughs> Paycheck was a sixty-one million dollar movie. The idea that Paycheck is uh, three quarters of the price of Red Cliff. <laughs> Yes. It's just destroying my brain. Money is fake. Money is fake. That's happens you have to buy Ben Affleck and Uma Thurman. Ugh. Um, yeah, I definitely like looked at the budget afterwards, and it was like the biggest, uh, most expensive um, movie in China at the time, but it's also two, uh, two, two and a half hour movies that together cost $80 million, and the idea of that being like expensive in America would be uh, ridiculous, but... Um, it doesn't. It, it looks expensive. Like it doesn't look like it's like you know coming from Hollywood has the real money. It doesn't look like that. It, they it just spared looks good. no expense. They spared no John expense. Voice. They spared no expense in uh, bringing Guan Yu to life. Yeah, hell yeah, God. <laughs> you know who's cool? Guan Yu. Guan Yu is fucking cool. Anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> we should probably get into our movie this month. Uh, I picked uh, Outrage, uh, which is a 1950 movie uh, written and directed by Ida Lupino. Uh, some other people wrote it with her, but you know, it's hers. Uh, and uh, I picked this because I was, as we do, going around trying to find movies directed by women. Uh, someone on our Discord had asked for Ida Lupino movies. I don't think they asked for this one. Um, but uh, I was on IndieWire's list, uh, <laughs> 100 female direct- best movies directed by women, and this was at 91. And I was like, you know what? I'll look, I'll look this up. I hadn't heard of it. I saw it was 74 minutes. We just got done watching the right stuff, which drained our souls. Uh, let's just watch a short-ass film, um, which is literally why I picked it. Um, this movie is about Anne Walton, uh, who is uh, portrayed by uh, Mala Powers, who is great in this movie. Um, shout out to her. She was in Cyrano de Bergerac. I don't know if you had to watch the 50s, 40s Cyrano de Bergerac in uh, growing up, but I, that's a great movie. And she's Roxanne in it, and she's great. Um, I was like, where did I recognize her the entire movie and looked it up? I was like, oh, that's where. Um, but uh, she's like just a bookkeeper in an office and she has this very uh, white bread boyfriend that she's about to marry. And uh, the coffee guy at the little stand by her workplace is gross and hits on her all the time. And one night when she works late, uh, she walks home and he attacks her and rapes her uh, off screen, thankfully. Um, but uh, she is traumatized by it, has a hard time reintegrating back into her like life because everyone treats her. She perceives they treat her weird and also they're treating her weird. Uh, it's a little bit of both and she runs away uh to the wilds of rural california where she uh gets roped into like an orange picking uh like farm and works as an orange packer and meets this guy named reverend ferguson who uh wants to help her so badly uh and i, I 
big question on how much the movie realizes that he's a huge creep, but I don't know. We'll talk about it. Um, and eventually talks her into going back home after she almost murders a man who uh, makes moves on her and is very forward and honestly deserved to get fucking hit. Um, uh, yeah, no, so agreed. He, he got what was coming. Um, there's a big speech about how society fails women who are assaulted uh, by not like you know caring for them, and also the, cr- the the prison pipeline doesn't actually help people who would be prone to committing crimes. It just puts them back out on the streets where they can do this over and over again, um, which uh, is clearly why this movie was made. And you know it, it's good for 1950. Yes. Um, but uh, also worth noting, uh, this is the second postcode movie to deal with rape after Johnny Belinda from 1948. Um, so, you know, uh, groundbreaking. They always, they call it criminal assault and everyone looks away in disgrace. They, no one says the word rape, but that is definitely what's happening here. Yes. Uh, so that's the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, any, th- who wants to go first? I, I, I'll go first. You go. Jackson? No, I, I've got nothing. I mean, I, I, I liked it. But, uh, oh. <laughs> I don't, I don't um. Going back to what M said about Bruce Ferguson and whether or not he's a creep, I think the movie wants you to love him. I think the movie wants him to be, like, the only person that understands her, and when she says that to him, the movie wants you to believe it, but I didn't really buy it, because I didn't really... Their bond was not... It seemed too one-sided. Like, I didn't really see what Anne saw in him, uh, but I did like the film overall. I think Mala... You said Mala Powers is her name? Yeah. Yeah, she does a fabulous job. Yes. Uh, the way the movie looks and the way that the movie puts you in her head in a way that is very sympathetic and relatable, even like if you've never experienced the things she's experienced, you really can't help but be in her head and understand all the things she's feeling and thinking. And I think the movie does a really good job of putting you there. Um, obviously because of, I think, just having a woman kind of behind the scenes. Um, but I have to say I was a little disappointed that, like, the solution... It's because it's 1950, and it's because it's the code. Uh, I blame them both, because I think that the solution to her problems just being, like, some other man and God being the answers (laughs) are kind of disappointing. Yeah, for sure. But... When you can overlook that as a thing of the times and the context in which the film was made, I don't know, it's a very, like, sympathetic and tender film, and I was really glad there weren't any scenes of, like, her parents treating her shitty or her... Because her dad, like, doesn't want her to get married and all this stuff, but he doesn't, like, victim blame. Nobody does any of that. Like, she gets gossip from the neighbors, but nobody's especially cruel to her. A lot of it is just shitty gossip and then also her just not being able to work it out but also like every guy is extremely paternalistic and yes. her fiance is like we need to get married right now like yeah he's definitely like r- r- turns this into a weird desire to like over possess her. her yes yeah and her parents kind of want to just keep her like okay she's probably not going to get married and she's going to stay with us forever um and that's not cool. So she runs away. Uh, but even when she runs away, she's, you know, everybody around her just kind of puts her in this position where they want to, like, save her or take care of her. And granted, like, she needs some help. But 
I don't think the movie offers actual viable solutions for that help. Um, but overall, I have to say I did enjoy the movie, like, for what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. I, I think that the, um, it, like, it moves very fast. It's definitely like a B-movie from the 50s, so it just goes. Uh, it's very well made. Um, I can't... There's some obvious backlot. We're just yes. filming this in the backlot scenes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the main performance was incredible. Uh, but, yeah, all this, the, the actual, like, when it got around to saying stuff about all this, uh, it was definitely a movie made in the 1950s. But I, I think it was a little bit more subversive than, I guess, than, than you're saying. Because I think that, like, the end of the movie being uh, the, the Reverend Ferguson uh, basically denying her agency and putting her back on a bus to all the things she's run away from in the first place and dressing it up as like no you can't run away from your feelings or your challenges in life um is definitely i I feel like that reads intentionally hollow uh i don't know about that like he's definitely coming from a place where like he's meant to be sympathetic in the same way like he was in the war and had p like you know he had ptsd it's not said as much but you know he's like i went through a hard time myself and um has now turned this into you know trying hard to not be you know be like sympathetic and help people who are broken in the same way he was i I think that's all meant to be read pretty straight Uh, specific it's not that he it's not the part where he like denies getting with her. It is the part where he sends her back to her old fiance, who is shitty. Like his her her, her boyfriend at the start of the movie is is not very nice, um, and the movie ending with her just returning to that life felt a bit uh you know felt a bit of a bummer. I didn't think that was yeah, that's fair. that was framed like in that way deliberately. Yeah, because like it, it's almost framed as if you know, she's going to hook up and marry Bruce Ferguson. So when she, you know, gets turned down essentially and then has to go back home, it is a little sad for her, but I don't know. I don't know if the movie wants you to actually think of that as sad. I, but you know, we know that it'll probably be hard for her and I don't think she's going to stay with Jim. Like, Maybe she can repair things with her parents, but I don't think she could repair. And the sad thing is, like, at the very beginning of the movie, I actually thought they were really cute together. But he's just so weird to her after the um, the attack yeah, yeah. that it's like, he's not even the same dude. Like, this is a dude that they both had jobs and they were working while they were dating and they'd go get lunch together and... uh, He just doesn't seem like the same person. So it's unfortunate that, yes, she gets push back into that but i don't know if the i really don't know if the movie wants you to think that that's a happy ending or not the um the actor who played bruce ferguson's named todd andrews i was looking up what else he had done and uh one thing that we've all seen is he dies 10 minutes into i'm sending you a screenshot beneath the planet of the apes <laughs> oh oh uh, that's him yes <laughs> wonderful Man, the main guy in Beneath the Planet of the Apes is such a fucking nothing human. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Not we needed the fakest Charlton Heston stand-in possible to Ooh. then run into Charlton Heston. <laughs> that's a good movie. Um, uh. and the, the thing I think that's interesting about this, I think this part is, uh, like, uh, intentional, is the first, like, whatever, 15 minutes of the movie where it's like, you know, she's got her job and she's got her fiancé and her family and whatever, is very, like 
old Hollywood. Like it could just be like a romantic comedy from the forties. Uh, and when the attack happens, it is filmed like a, like a horror movie. Like she wanders through this maze of like this industrial area she works in and it's all shot with shadows and this chase is very dramatic. And then on the other side, like she exists in a different understanding of the world. And I think the movie changes tone, but the characters from before don't. So she ends up feeling like she is out of time and place because of it, mm-hmm. which I think is really good. Yeah, I think like the standout scene of this movie is probably when she goes back to work. Mm. Um and like the the sound of the stamp and everything is like heightened. Uh a guy who needs to chill with his stamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he needs to fucking chill with that stamp, bro. There's no reason for him to bang the fucking bang, death bang, bang, like bang, bang. that. <laughs> um but it definitely like cuz uh the opening of the movie is just like here's some flat shots, here's some some like like comic scenes, right? Uh and it becomes much more stylistic after that, uh, after the attack, um, in very effective ways. Like, uh, I think the movie's like uh, biggest strength is definitely how concerned it is with making sure the audience is completely like engaged with the mindset of Anne the whole time, because um, mm-hmm. it's it's very easy uh, to make these kind of movies and men do all the time and still like distance the uh woman in like an objectifying sense even while making a movie about her trauma um and it's clear this movie was like determined from the start to not do that like it's very deliberate the whole way through mm-hmm. um and i think that stuff is uh, very well done yeah for sure. Uh, it does end with the psycho speech, but for, you know, sexual assault victims. <laughs> yeah, so the, the movie's, like, past, larger politics about this are very funny and, and mixed, uh, because it is the 1950... Well, literally, 1950. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, 70 years ago at this point. Jesus. There's a bit There's a bit where uh, Reverend Ferguson is trying... Because she hits the guy with the, the, the wrench who tries to, like, kiss her. Because she has a flashback to the guy who assaulted her. And uh, that guy almost dies. And so they're going to arrest her for that. And he's like, no, you shouldn't do that. You just She's a victim of circumstance and, you know, this assault. And she needs to go to therapy and not go to jail. And he stands there with, like, the prosecutor and the judge. And he's like, all of us are guilty. And there's this ridiculous cutaway to the judge, like, looking affronted like it's a comedy and not, like, this yes. serious drama that is so ludicrous. Because the judge is, the, in that scene, the most ridiculous, like, dressed-up character... Yes. With his mustache. There's a lot of really questionable mustaches in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the whole speech is uh, is funny and like I've been thinking about what this movie thinks about like the cops, right? Because it's like, okay, so Oh, yeah, there is the cop when they she first gets sacked, he's like, I'm just a dog catcher. I get him, I throw him in jail, and I don't know what happens to them. I don't make the laws, I just have to enforce what we've got. And some of those laws are no good. Yeah, he says that to her dad. Yeah. But it's like which is true and a thing that the movie's throwing out there but definitely this movie leans into like if we had more cops we could stop all the all the attacks before they happen um type yeah stuff. or also like if the if there was better like you know if we held people who did sexual assaults more accountable which i guess is still the case right well they do the thing where i guess when we we didn't really explain what we meant by the psycho thing but we they do the thing where they say oh by the way the guy that she did this to 
or wait, was it Frank or was it the other, the first guy? That... It's the first guy. They, they caught yeah, the first the guy first and they're guy. like, oh yeah, he oh, he was also a victim of the system, which, you know, is probably true on some level, but it extremely gets into, we're going to try to explain everything through the psychology of 1950. Yeah, and, and it also was like very concerned with saying that, oh, in addition to doing this, he's also uh, doing like... Um, what's the word like you know he's doing armed robberies and stuff so it becomes much yeah he got caught doing an armor armed robbery sorry yeah so it becomes much more about the nebulous idea of how do we cure the criminal mind (laughs) Um, yes Mm -hmm. than the specifics of uh the like actual way this this circumstance uh like ripples through the structures which it it gets close to that but then leans back on going oh it's okay the 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 bad one was just a was just he's just a criminal and he was failed by the system but also we didn't even we don't we haven't the criminal mind is a plague in society and must be fixed which is a bit like ah you know the 50s yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I do I do genuinely think the effort put forth to show that like what happens to assault victims is a failure yes. of more than just you know it is a systemic failure of people to like care for and reintegrate those people is good. Uh, like that's a message we don't get enough today. Seventy years later. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Like it's only it's not disappointing, but it's only notable in the the movie is often like very very smart and good about it. Yeah. Um, so the parts where it does, like, you know, it's not all the way there, uh, but that's fine because a lot of the things it does do is very forward thinking and very, like, yeah, movies are still bad about this shit. Mm hmm. Anything from Destiny? Uh, I don't really have much to say. Okay. I said um, all my, I uh, had to say. It is simply one a 75 minute long B movie. <laughs> Uh, the one yeah. thing I really liked uh, towards the end, there's like as she what she brains that guy with the wrench and runs away. There's really amazing shots of like the you know orange orchards of California and <laughs> her running along dirt roads. It is very like classic noir in the best sense, where like you don't need shadowy like docks to be a good noir. You just need someone afraid in a big space, right? Yes. In an alien mm-hmm. space. And uh, I love those shots a lot. Um, yeah, this is a good-looking movie. For a very yeah. cheap film, it is a yes. good-looking movie. Yeah, because there's plenty of, like, the whole, like, uh, attack sequence feels like they put some construction equipment in their back lot and just shot what they had. Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. If, like, if you don't know about how they filmed those old movies on those lots, like, you don't even notice it. But if you do know, it's pretty obvious what's happening. Yeah, it's extremely <laughs> obvious. Especially that big lot. Like, the, it's a very good shot, the final shot, where it, like, pulls out someone shutting the window. Um, mm-hmm. which is like a very good way to like end the scene uh, and how it like cuts away from the stuff but also like draws attention to everyone ignoring it um, mm-hmm. uh, so like very good shot but also the most just okay here's the back lot window <laughs> I think my favorite shot is when he's chasing her and you just see his shadow along the wall which is like a stock noir shot mm-hmm. but it is so creepy in the context of this film yep. it's so well done absolutely and then when she like hits the, she like accidentally hits the um, car horn on the truck, right before he catches her. Ugh, yeah, it's really aw- quite awful. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so that's it. This movie, pretty decent. If you have like an hour and change to kill, it's on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube version's ripped from TCM. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a pretty high quality. TCM usually gets pretty high quality yeah. stuff, so it's yeah. not a bad quality at all. And there aren't any commercials, and it's shot, you know, it's the original aspect ratio, so you're getting as best a version as you can get. Yeah, it, for it, looked, free. it looked DVD quality. It was nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we have uh, one email. If you'd like to send in emails, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. They can be about the movies we're covering, about any movie in general. We'll just talk about whatever. We love questions. We so do please love send questions. us questions. Don't think any question is too dumb. Uh, because if they're too dumb, we'll just answer them on VoIP Life instead or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we have one question from Alex. Uh, I think this movie is pretty decent. Everyone has incredible face acting. There's definitely some inspired camera moves, like when the camera moves through the dancing at the uh, festival to focus on Anne and the woman standing next to her and the composition of the chase sequence. Uh, the actual movie is pretty interesting. I like the way it really brings you into Anne's trauma with everyone looking at her in the sounds of her workplace, combining and intensifying. But on the other hand, I was uh, screaming about people's reaction to her trauma, especially her fiancé. What the fuck? Saying they should get married immediately. Uh, yeah, um, no, I don't agree with the movie's end where a character looks at the camera and states that only hardened criminals in need of psychiatric help commit sexual assault. Uh and when there's an entire assault literally on screen at the fair, uh, he didn't mean you any harm, my ass. Uh, finish the job and hit him again. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they, he, they, they definitely go, that guy was, wouldn't have harmed a fly when he definitely was grabbing her hair and trying to kiss her and shit. Like, he pushed that, her into a freaking hay yes, bale or whatever. Yes. Like, come just on, Just like James dude. Bond. If you just wanted a kiss, you wouldn't... Oh. Ugh, and if it, ugh, Ed can't yes. even talk. He makes me so gross. It feels so gross. Yeah, they definitely um, play that entire thing like she was reminded of the original trauma and was like flashing back. But in the in the scene, it like it, it, it's clearly calling back to that because it's the same assault. Yes, but it like in the scene plays like she just did it because this new guy was also being an awful rapist. Yes, uh, I mean to me this is the, definitely like Idol Pino signaling in a way you cannot just say in yes. 1950 that mm -hmm. look, and men just act like this. Like the guy at the counter when she's getting her coffee, like the one who ends up attacking her, is just gross to her, and everyone just sees it and doesn't care because men be gross exactly and then like the way everybody touches her and then like yes. she's wearing the old dresses of the ranches the ranch is owned by a couple and yeah. like she's wearing their daughter's clothes and she starts to wear her hair in like kind of childlike ways and like there's a lot of just yucky ways she's being treated when she escapes yeah um and all that feels very intentional and it's good yes uh, yes yeah that's, that's there's a there's some PSs on this email. Uh, I feel like in any other movie, Doc would be explicitly sinister. I think he's also sinister in this movie. Uh, Alex says the movie doesn't know that. I think the movie knows that, at least in part. I think he's definitely meant to be, like, this overbearing, paternalistic character towards her. I, I don't know. I'm still torn on that. I don't know if I agree. I mean, I think, I think it also sees him as, like the thing that she needs to help her move past this. Like he's someone who can be there and help her and then like, let her go. Right. Like he does not desire, a, like he clearly, she clearly would be willing to have the relationship. And he's like, no, you need to go back and like live your life. I need to go get a parish or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, I do. I do think it's uh, cynical about him though, because like you said, like uh, the way that it shoots that uh, assault scene, like the second one, is very clearly on purpose, and and then he immediately afterwards is like, because his thing is to be the voice of reason for like 
the majority audience for this film in the 50s and to explain it yes. to people. Uh, yes. So I think that the movie is aware of that because a lot of the actual scenes themselves are definitely more uh, subversive and aware than mm. his monologue. Like The things that he says trying to wrap up the movie in a bow are clearly not exactly what the movie believes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then we had a PPS... Uh, it's interesting that the dad's desire in the movie is for better funding and smaller classes. Extremely relatable. Seventy years later, <laughs> what, a, what a way to see that so nothing has changed. Uh, nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. No. Um, but yeah, that's it. Again, podcast at abnormalmapping.com If you want to send us emails, um, next week uh, it's February. Uh, we decided uh, unilaterally to celebrate Black History Month like everyone else does um, by watching some black cinema. Is that what everyone else does? I don't know. I thought they just, like, read random facts in schools. I don't think we actually (laughs) went out of our way to watch movies. But hey, let's watch some movies! Yeah, it's what we do here. Um, Next time, we are watching Spike Lee's Black Klansman, um, which uh, unfortunately doesn't seem to be streaming anywhere but Cinemax in America, uh, which, you you know, you can get a free trial of, but otherwise you have to pay for, uh, and isn't rentable, you have to, like, buy it. But, you know, if you, um, you know where to find movies, I'm sure it's findable. It was a very popular movie not too long ago, so. Yep, uh, same in the UK. Uh, instead of Cinemax, it is on Now TV, uh, but you can you can buy it from Chile, Amazon everywhere. Uh, or you can just find yep. it on the internet. Like, I assume you will. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, there, there's only a couple Spike Lees I haven't seen, and that is one of them. So I'm excited to watch it. Uh, yeah. And with that, it is Plugs. Destiny, where can people find you online? At Fridge Buzz now on Twitter and just about everywhere else. Uh, Jackson. You can find me at Headfuls Off on Twitter. You can find the podcast me at MD at abnormalmapping.com. There's a whole bunch there, including Abnormal Mapping, a game club. We just reached 100 episodes. Uh, we did Yay. out a while recently. Uh, people seem to really like it. The reaction has made us very happy. Um, yeah, it was a very popular episode. Yep. Um, I thought it was a good one, too. So, you know. I was very proud of it. Good episode. Someone, one of our friends described it as the most idle thumbs episode possible, which, you know, is a personal compliment to me. It's so. true. It's true. Um, but yeah, that's us. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. Uh, you can, f- uh, the same day this goes up, uh, and then an airplane's next episode should be up, which is the podcast me and my friend Autumn have talking through all the Studio Ghibli movies. And this is our Palm Poco episode. If you want a pretty good talk about one of the most surprising films I think I've seen in many years, uh, that's it. Cause that movie is a whole experience. That movie wrecked me. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it's good. So look forward to that. Uh, check it out. If you would like to support this podcast and all the other podcasts we do, you can do that at abnormal, uh, sorry, patreon.com slash abnormal mapping. For $1, you get me and Jackson's Gundam podcast every week, uh, The Great Gundam Project. We're, we're watching G Gundam yeah. and uh, Ghost of the Shell Standalone Complex Woo! right now. Um, and for $5, you get writing from me and Jackson. Um, you recently wrote about Knives Out if people want to hear about a movie. Um, and was your last letter about a movie? That's no, Picard. 
Oh, Picard, right. I haven't, me and Destiny still haven't seen Picard. Uh, and then uh, for $10, you can get uh, VoIP Life, which is me and Jackson every two weeks. Uh, just kind of goofing off, talking about stuff. We have a good episode recently about uh, movie watching history and movie criticism and just a whole, if you just want like a good two hours of me and Jackson talking about the act of being into movies, uh, which I think is, you know, relevant to this, please check that out. Um, and we thank you for helping keep the lights on and us fed and uh, clothed through these trying times in the world which are all the times it's true um so yeah uh until next time go out there watch the movies criterion has a whole slate of cool stuff this month i was looking through it last night i was like man i wish i just had time to watch the movies all the time uh that really is what it's like if oh if you if you uh missed it when we covered it uh and you have criterion network uh daughters of dust is on there now um it's going to be in a couple days at least and that's a great movie and there's like a whole interview with julie dash i'm really excited to listen to um because that movie was great yeah um anyway uh until then uh watch some movies don't expect to like them <laughs>